0: Singing psalms to God, meditating on him, and having a special prayer request that we'll see at the end of Psalm 19, dealing with the meditations of his heart. Remember that through 1 Samuel, we're doing a comparison of two people, the comparison of the heart of Saul and the heart of David. And we wonder, how did David get, how did he get the heart of? That to follow God. Where did it come from? Well, I'm thankful that the Bible has the answer. And we'll see the answer in Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19, and if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number one Psalm 19, in verse one The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. He goeth forth is from the end of the earth heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever." The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer." And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Psalm 19? Psalm 19, in the very last verse, verse 14, notice the phrase, The meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. The meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. And as we study the life and ministry of David, we could see his prayer here unto God that he wanted his heart, the meditation of his heart, to be acceptable unto God. How does that be accomplished? Well, Psalm 19 lets us know how it's accomplished. But with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach with this idea: the meditation of Thy heart, my heart, be acceptable in Thy sight. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you again for You being a wonderful God. And as we come up to You now, I'm just asking. have a machine wired to you. Maybe we'll get some volunteers at the end of the service. But get a machine that wiretaps you. And for a full week, every thought you have is recorded. Every thought that you have is pinned down. With the majority of the thoughts that you have, especially during the free time, we understand there are times our thoughts are occupied with work and Thoughts are occupied with homework and thoughts are occupied with, hey, there's food in front of me, let me concentrate on eating. But the times that it doesn't have something that's engaging it, what is your thought life like? Would you be willing to have all of your thoughts recorded and evaluated and to see if the majority of the thoughts that you have, if not all of your thoughts are acceptable unto God? Did you know that your thoughts can be acceptable to God? The meditations of your heart can be acceptable to God. And thus the words from your mouth can be acceptable to God. Jesus explains that what comes out of a man comes from what's already within a man. If cussing and swearing and anger comes out of you, it's because those things are already in you. What you have to do is replace the things within you. If fear and distress come out of you, that shows what's already in you. If doubt and complaining and murmuring comes out of you, that's what was already in you. Jesus goes on and explains that in several different passages that what comes out of a man comes from what was already within a man. So this truly is a marvelous passage, something that every single one of us need to grab a hold of. To have it so we could have the same prayer as David, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Is that something you desire? Is that something that you have something in you that says, I want even my thoughts to be acceptable unto God. Well, before we dive into the scriptures itself and see what the scriptures say, how we could have our meditations of our heart be acceptable unto the sight, there is one key ingredient that must be there. Notice with me in verse 14. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in my sight. O oh Lord, my strength, and notice this, my Redeemer. That if you're going to have thoughts that are acceptable unto God, you first of all have to be saved. If you are not saved, your thoughts will not be acceptable unto God. Because you're full of the old man. You're full of sin. You have almost no choice but to sin. And to think of sinful things. That's your nature. You must come to the place where you realize that you're a sinner. Because of your sin, you have offended a holy, righteous God. And you deserve hell. You deserve punishment. But your only hope is Jesus Christ who died for you. And you personally ask Jesus to be your savior. He becomes your redeemer. The word redeem means to buy back. That he purchased you. He paid your price. And the only way. The very beginning. The starting place. If your thoughts are going to be acceptable unto God. You first must be saved. None of this stuff will work. I could preach all I want, but it will not work unless you are first saved. So we have to have the ground thing. So we're not preaching tonight to unsaved people. We're preaching to saved people. It is the saved people that can have their minds and their thoughts acceptable unto God. So if you don't mind, let's examine Psalm 19. And let's look at the things that the Bible says here to have where our thoughts will be acceptable to God. Notice the first thing. We should meditate upon the Lord. We should meditate upon the Lord. Now I want you to use your divine imagination. And I want us to take a field trip. I want us to go outside of the city of Bethlehem. And in the city of Bethlehem there's Jesse and his boys. And the youngest boy is the keeper of the sheep. And every day he's outside in the pastures. He's outside in the open skies. He's watching from day to day. He's watching nature. He sees the sun go in its circuit. He watches the moon rise above. He watches the flowers and the plants. He sees the seasons. He sees the flock. He sees as lambs are born. He is there and he's present. He gets to see nature day by day by day. And he just doesn't let it pass. But he thinks about those things. Notice with me in verse number one. The heavens declare the glory of God. As David is looking out there, he watches the sun rise. And he watches the beautiful colors as they begin to lighten up more and more until the big bulb hits the horizon. He looks at that and says, look at that. Look at what a pretty picture God painted. At night, he watches that same sun set. And he watches as all the dust colors hit. and The purples begin to settle. And he watches the beautiful painting out there in the desert. And he says, wow. What a God. You see, when he looks at nature, he looks at God and sees that the heavens... Declare his glory. You know, we have a hard time as humans just making it to the moon right now. But do you know that God knows all of the galaxies? He knows all the stars. He knows all the moons and all the planets. He sees them all. And he looks and it was God who made them. Notice with me at the end of verse 1. And the heavens declare his glory, uh, the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. And Psalm 9, when it talks about God creating the world, it says that it was done with his finger. When it talks about that, it's giving an illustration. What is the simplest form of art that a child can do? Finger painting, right? A kid could get paint on their fingers and they can make a picture. They can do all kinds of things. It's the simplest type of art form. You know how easy it was for God to create all the world? It was just like finger painting to him. That's as easy as it was. And the firmaments show his handiwork. It's like if you were to have God's artistry on your refrigerator, it'd be all the world and all the universe and all the stars and all of nature. That's God's first grade kindergarten picture. Put it up there in the refrigerator. It shows his handiwork. Look at what God did. Look at this. It's almost like a picture we should be bragging on. You know, there's some thinking about a parent. It doesn't matter what a child draws. They put it up in the refrigerator and put it in the scrapbook. And look at what they did. Look at this. And they show people about it. You want to show, here's all the finger paintings of my child from birth all the way up to. And they brag on it. Well, that's the same thing for us. This is what our God did. This is what our God. Look at this. That all the firmaments declare or showeth. His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. You want to know how much, how often God's display is? From day to day. Night to night. And it says there is no place on earth. Where that language is not understood. It does not matter if you're in Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan. Those people look at a sunset and they look at a sunrise. And they have to know somewhere there is a God. It doesn't matter if you're in the Amazon jungle. And you're away from civilization. To watch the birth of a child. You have to say there is a God. You understand? Day unto day, night unto night, it declares, it says in a language that everyone knows. You don't have to understand English to know that God created everything. You don't have to understand a written language to understand that God is the one who put this together. Verse number four. Their line has gone out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Meaning this is proclaimed everywhere. There's nowhere on this earth where they could hide from God's creation. And God's word in creation. They all have to acknowledge there is a God. In them he has set up a tabernacle for the sun. Which as the bridegroom cometh out of his chamber. And rejoices as a strong man to run the race. You know that the sun never gets tired. The sun never has a hard time getting out of bed. Now we understand this is political language. And it's going to get into science in a second. But you know one thing as David who does not know science. And does not know everything about the sun and the thermonuclear reactions. And he doesn't understand the hydrogen reactions. And the um, <laughs> the elements and the different things going on. He only knows that in the morning the sun rises. You could count on it. Even if there's clouds, there's a sun somewhere. He understands that you could set your time by it. You could tell your seasons by it. There's something to it. It doesn't get tired. It is ready every day to run its race, to run its course. Now again, that's poetical language, but let me show you something else. His, this is the sun, is going forth from the end of the earth. His circuit under the ends of it. Do you understand that even though David may not understand all the science that goes behind it, God knew that the sun travels in a circuit around the earth. It's not flat. It goes around. <laughs> that the Bible says it goes around a circuit. There's, it's a location. Do you know who's the one who installed the sun to go in its circuit? It was God. God. God put it there. And he put the earth at a great location. And he put it. If the the earth was any closer to the sun, life could not be here. It'd fry off. If the earth was any further away from the sun, it'd be too cold to sustain life. God had had at the right perfect thing. God was marvelous. There is such a harmony in scripture or in creation that all of these things have to work together in a perfect harmony for life to exist. And it was God who put it exactly the way that it needed to be. And we have to look at it and say it didn't happen by chance. It didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen because uh, of chemicals getting together and twisting in a certain way. It was God that put it together. There is a God. And whereas David might not understand the intricacies of genetics. And he may not understand all of the things about chemistry. He did understand by observation, only God could have put this together. You understand there's a lot to think about God. Enough to occupy your brain cells for a while. Sometimes I love little children. Little children love little things like butterflies or worms or caterpillars or bugs. And they get so excited. Look at this. Look at what God made. We get so busy that we don't take time to look and examine and think. Look at what our God was able to do. Our God put this together. David, as he's outside, you know what helped his, the meditation of his heart to be acceptable in God? Because he was thinking about God. Thinking about how wonderful God is. Thinking about that God is always good and that God is always right. That God is amazing. Heaven forbid when we get to the place where we're no longer amazed by God. When we get to the place where we're disappointed by God. That's because we're not looking at him. And we're not seeing how wonderful he is. When you think about how wonderful God is. The meditations of your heart will be acceptable by God. If you don't mind, what else was it? That helped David to have a heart towards God. What was it that allowed him to have a heart. That was in his thoughts. And the words that came out of his mouth. Be acceptable unto God. Not only was his meditations upon the Lord. But his meditation was upon the word of God. His meditation was upon the word of God. Notice with me in verse number 7. and verses 7 through 11. Each verse speaks A couple times about the word of God. And as David is meditating, he's thinking about, man, think of all the wonderful things that God's word does for me. Sometimes we're not appreciative of God's word. Sometimes you get out of church and you put your Bible in your desk or you put it in your car and it gathers dust until you time you need church again. Then you pull it back out. That's not how it should be. God's word should be precious because it does so many things for us. And if we're thankful for the Bible, then the thoughts will be of our heart will be acceptable to God. Are you glad for God's word? Is it one of the most? Is it the most important thing you could do every day? Is it more important than getting coffee? If you had a choice between reading your Bible and getting coffee, which one's more important? Breakfast or Bible Facebook or Bible checking your phone or Bible so often the Bible loses out and we wonder why we struggle with our thought life notice if you don't mind what the Bible says as David is meditating David is 16 years old and notice the wisdom he has notice how important God's word is to him as a teenager Notice with me verse 7. The law of the Lord, which is another phrase for the Bible, is perfect. You know what David's saying? He's thinking he's out there tending sheep, looking up to God, says, God, your word's perfect. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And you know, because it is perfect, it converts the soul. You know why I'm saved? Not because of anything I did. But because God gave me promises. Promises like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You want to know why I know I'm going to heaven? Because God's word tells me so. Hey you know how I know Jesus loves me? The Bible tells me so. When you believe God's word is perfect. You can believe what it says. And it changes you. When the Bible says that God loves you, you know what he means? He loves you. You know when the Bible says that you're accepted in the beloved? You know what happens? You're accepted. When the Bible says you're a peculiar treasure, you know what God means? You're a peculiar treasure. If you believe God's word is perfect, you could believe what it says. And it does something to you if you believe the book. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's another phrase from the Bible. Is sure. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The Bible is sure. It's not going to fail. It's going to happen time and time again. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. You know, there's so many times we don't know what we're supposed to do. But you can by going to the Bible. Bible. The Bible has every spiritual answer that you need. And by the way, more things in your life are spiritual decisions than you even realize. Who am I supposed to get married to? That's a spiritual decision. Where am I going to go to church? That's a spiritual decision. Where do I go to school? That's a spiritual decision. Who am I going to marry? That's a spiritual decision. Where am I going to live? That is a spiritual decision. That is not something you do a pro and con list and said, well, it's better off if I live over here than over here. Just the, the pros have it. No, God's will has it. Everything is settled by the will of God. And if you believe God's word is right, it could direct your path. It could give you wisdom for what you need. It makes wise the simple. man. that's pretty amazing for a 16-year-old to be saying. If I heard a 16-year-old say it, I may have a heart attack. You understand our thoughts can be acceptable if we believe God's word is true. Notice with me verse 8. The statutes of the Lord. Again, talking about the word of God. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. You know, I can rejoice and say God is good and God is always right because I believe the Bible's right. I can trust the Bible so I can trust God. Can you trust God? Well, you can if you trust the Bible. And we could rejoice over that, that God is always good and God is always right. What happens if something bad goes and happened in my life? God is good and God is right. You know, whenever we get the poochy lip disease where we go, nobody likes me. Everyone hates me. Think I'll eat some worms. Woohoo. You know what's happening? We don't believe God's right. If we believed God was right, we would not murmur and complain. May I take a pause You know what murmuring and complaining really is? It's saying God was not right. And if you don't think that was a big deal, then go read the book of Numbers and see if it wasn't a big deal. God killed people just for complaining. Why? Because they were saying God wasn't right. God wasn't good. You see, it's a very serious thing. But if you believe the Bible is right, then you could trust God and you could rejoice in all things. And all things rejoice. I stub my toe. Well, praise God. Can you rejoice? Can you sing? If you want to know if your heart, if you want to know if the words of your mouth and the meditations of your heart is right, then can you sing? That's the test because you believe that God is good and God is right. Then you have no problem singing even in the midst of heartbreak and trouble. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Why? Because of God's word is right. It allows me to rejoice because I know my God is true and he's always right. This is pretty good stuff of a little 16-year-old shepherd boy out in the middle of things. Notice what else he says. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. You know, we believe God's word is pure. It's not tampered with. We believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. We believe that all of Scripture is what God has given to us. And if I believe it is pure, if I believe every little bit, all of it is God's Word, you know what happens? It enlightens the eyes. Man, there's so much to learn from God's Word. If I believe that God wrote everything, that means everything's important. You know that there are 66 books in the Word of God. And each of those books of the Bible give us something unique and special about God. That's purpose is to reveal God. But if you only read one section of the Bible, for example, there are some people says, well, I'm just a gospel person. And they only read the gospel records. You know, they're missing out on a complete picture of God. If somebody's not familiar with the minor prophets, they're missing 12 major picture, uh, pieces of their puzzle. They don't have a complete picture of God. You understand you need to have all the scripture, even the begats, the lineages. First Chronicles chapter 1 verses 9, that's important. It's necessary. It enlightens the eyes. Oh, there's so much to learn about God even in the genealogies. There's so much to learn about God even in the Ten Commandments. There's so much to learn about God in every little bit of it. I don't see why people say the Bible is boring when the whole Bible teaches us about God. That's saying that God's boring. He is not. He says, the scriptures, they enlighten the eyes. Oh, it's good stuff to study the scriptures. No wonder the meditations of his heart were acceptable unto God. Notice as he goes on, verse number nine, the fear of the Lord. Still talking about the Bible. The fear of the Lord is clean. You know, there's nothing dirty about the Bible. It's clean. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. You know, there's never a time where the Bible is going to be so polluted we can't trust it. It's always clean. It's always going to be applicable. It's for every people for every time. It will never get antiquated. It'll never get out of date. It is a wonderful book. And it will endure forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The Bible is always true. And it's always right. Because God is always true. And God is always right. So he sums it up now. In fact, many people have turned this into a psalm. Verses 7 through 10. Uh, 7, 8, 9 would be the verses. 10 would be the chorus. Here's the chorus. So because of all of these things true about the Bible... More to be desired are they. What's this they? It's God's word. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Now that sounds very poetical. Let's bring it down to practical. What consumes your thoughts? Money or God's word? Because what you think about is what... What's more important to you at the moment? Can you trust God? If you have a problem with finances, go to the word of God. Do you desire God's word more than money? See, this is why the meditations of David's heart were acceptable. And oftentimes the thoughts of our hearts, the meditations of our heart are not acceptable to God. Because we're concerned more for money than we are God's word. God's word is not as precious to us as the next paycheck. As the shopping trip. Is God's word more precious to you? More to be desired than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. It's also sweeter than the honey. And the honeycomb means I can't wait to get into it. I mean, most of you like desserts. If I was to have you raise the hand and say, who hates desserts? The only person that raised their hand is some teenager who'd be snarky, right? You like desserts? You like sweet things? You like to eat the candy, right? Well, the Bible is better than that. It's the best dessert you can have to enjoy it. No wonder the thoughts and the meditations of David's hearts were acceptable. Notice in verse 11. Moreover, so in addition to all of this, by them, God's word, is thy servant warned. You know, the Bible warns us and tells us what not to do. It tells us what's not right. It tells us how to keep it right and how to get it right. And in keeping of them, God's word, there is great reward. What a blessing to hear a 17-year-old exclaim this, that by obeying God's word, There is great reward. You know, when you think like that, the meditations of your heart would probably be acceptable to God. If you woke up and said, praise the Lord, there's great reward in reading and obeying the Bible. Show me something to obey for you today. Wouldn't that change your Bible reading? If you looked for something to obey? God, I want to obey something. Tell me something. God will give you something to obey through his word. Guaranteed. But is it the meditations of our heart? And we wonder why we struggle with our thought life. We wonder why we have all these things that we know that's not pleasing to God that rolls around in there. You know, to be a spiritual person, you first must be a scriptural person. Because the scripture will drive this stuff away. Unfortunately, I, like many of you, have a jukebox in my mind. Meaning all the trash and all the filthy garbage music that you've listened to all these years are stored up. And they don't go away. It just takes a couple notes of an elevator or a grocery store. And all of a sudden it's back in your mind again. You know how to get that stuff out? Fill it with God's word. It can't compete to God's word. Fill yourself with God's word. If you're not filling yourself with God's word, you will be filled with something else. And what you're filled with is what is going to come out of you. So David is praying to God and said, God, I want the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be acceptable unto thee. How can that be? How can our thoughts, our meditations of our heart be acceptable? By meditating upon God, by meditating on God's word. But there's something else I'd like to show you in this passage here. By being aware of sin, by being aware of the dominion of sin. You know sin gets a hold of people and you know sin changes the way you think. You let some sin get in your life, you will find yourself excusing it because it's your sin. You'll find yourself defending it because it's your sin and it will change the way you think. You have someone who watches pornography. They've actually proven through studies. It changes how someone thinks. You have a problem with lying. Well, it changes the way you think. You have a problem with gossiping. It changes the way you think. You get to the place where you excuse sin. You go, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Or what I'm doing is not quite as bad. And it changes the way you think and sin is never acceptable unto God. Notice, if you don't mind, as David goes on in verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me thou from secret faults. Now notice, we're going to go through a spiritual digression. And it starts off by David saying, you know, I don't know me as well as I think I do. Maybe perhaps there is a sin I don't know about. That is called a secret sin. And you understand the more mature you get in the Lord, the more you realize what is sin. And those are the hard ones that we could harbor sin that we don't even know is sin. Who can know his heart? Who can know his ways? God can show it to you. You need to be honest with God and say, God, I want you to shine the spotlight of your Holy Spirit to every dark crevice of my heart. And if there's any sin, you point it out. You tell me that it's sin and I'll deal with it. The problem is that we don't want to do that. Because we know that we have something stacked underneath the, uh, the stairs that we don't want anyone to find, much less God. And we don't want to sweep it out. We don't want to clean it out. We know it's there. Sometimes we might not know exactly what it is, but we know that there's some things that we don't want God to be honest with us with. Well, again, sin in your life changes the way you think. And it will mess up the meditations of your heart, thinking about sin. But if your secret sins are not taken care of, notice the spiritual digression, verse number 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Now, we started off with a secret sin. A secret sin is a sin that you don't even realize is sin. And we have that. The younger Christian you are, the more of them that you have. The more mature you get, the more that God exposes sin in your life. And in order to grow, you have to deal with those things. A presumptuous sin is a sin that you know is wrong, but you do it anyways, presuming upon God's grace. What does that mean? Well, God hasn't punished me before. I'm going to do it again. And assuming that God will not punish me again. That is a dangerous sin to presume upon God's grace. Well, I didn't get a spanking before. I got away with it earlier. God's not going to do anything to me now. I'm going to do it anyways. It's a sin you know is a sin, but you do it anyways. This is dangerous. And David was fearful of this. Keep, not, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. You know what happens when you choose to sin? You know what's wrong and you choose to do it and you get away with it. So you know what you do? Is you're more emboldened to do it again. And now you're more emboldened to do it again. Now it's a habit And you're like, God's not going to do anything with me. I can do it as long as I want. It's not hurting anybody. That is so dangerous. Because what happens is that you never have control of sin. But sin will get control of you. Sin will take you a lot further than you ever wanted to go. And cost you a lot more than you ever wanted to pay. Once sin takes a root, it does not let go. You do not have control of sin. And to have a presumptuous sin is such a dangerous thing because it is a slap to God's face. It is an insult to him because he died for you so you don't have to sin. If you sin now as a Christian, you choose to sin and say, God, I don't care. I know you died for this sin that I'm about to do. I'm going to do it anyways. And God says, be not deceived For God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It starts off with a secret sin, sins that you don't even know as sins, which will lead to a presumptuous sin. You now know it's sin, but you do it anyways, presuming that God will not punish you for it, will not chasten you, will not get after you, will not do something to you. So you presume, which leads to the third stage. Notice if you don't mind, verse 13. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright and I shall be innocent. Notice this, from the great transgression. What is the great transgression? That sounds pretty bad. Well, you know, the Bible in 1 John calls it this, the sin unto death. Do you know that you could sin? There's a sin you could commit That God will kill you over. He will take you out of life early over. That sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? What sin is it? What sin can I commit that God will kill you over? It's not a specific sin. It is a presumptuous sin where you say, you know what? God is not going to do anything about it. I'm going to do it anyways. And God said, you just crossed the line. You're done. I'll kill you over that. David said, "Please don't let me cross that line. Don't let me get to the place where where God warned me, and I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyways." And God says, "You cross the line." The Bible explains this in a couple different passages. One of them is in 1 Corinthians chapter five, verse five, where it explains to the man the, uh, that that Satan will kill him for the killing of the body but for the saving of the soul. Meaning, the guy is saved. He's going to heaven. But God turns over the bounty, the death warrant to Satan and says, Satan, you kill him. And it's a horrible way for a Christian to die. But it is because they did a sin. It's not a specific sin, but it is any sin. We know that we're not supposed to do, but we do it anyways after God warned us and God decides to cut it off. You say, how many times? I don't know. That's up to God. It's whatever he decides. But that's a dangerous space to be into as a Christian. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyways. And God said, that was one time too many. David said, please keep me from that. You understand sin is horrible. Sin changes the way you think. You cannot think pleasing to God as long as you have open, unconfessed sin that is undealt with. That God has been telling you over and over again. And over to deal with, and you refuse. You refuse to listen, you refuse to obey, you continue to rebel, you refuse to submit. God says, "I can cut you off. Is that a scary thing? David said, "Keep me away from that. Keep me from the great transgression. Keep me from that." He understood that if he was going to keep his thoughts right, the meditations of his heart, the words of his mouth, if they were going to be correct. He needed to have his thoughts, meditations upon God. He had to have meditations upon the word of God. And he had to avoid the dominion of sin. If the way that he thinks is going to be pleasing unto God. Again, we're in a study of the life and ministry of David. What made David the man after God's own heart? Did he just wake up that morning and go, Woohoo! God loves me, I'm the way I'm... What happened? It was this. It was this. This is what changed his heart. It was what he purposely thought upon. He looked at the world and said, God is good. God's amazing. He was still amazed by God. He loved the scriptures. And just didn't read the Bible. He thought about the Bible all day long. And he was very sensitive about sin. Lord, keep me from sin. Keep me from sin. Sin will mess me up. Lord, please keep me from sin. Which brings us to where we started from. Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. My strength and my redeemer. Again, if I was to ask you to take, to volunteer, to put a machine on your head... And to take all of your thoughts for the next week and evaluate them. Would you be willing? Or would that be way too scary? To have your thoughts exposed like that. Will you understand our thought life can be controlled. The Bible talks about in the book of 2 Corinthians. Taking every thought into captivity. Under the pleasing of God. Our thoughts can be pleasing to God. How can they be pleasing? By meditating on God. Meditating on God's word and avoiding the dominion of sin. And we too can say the same thing that David did. Lord, I want my words and I want the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in thy sight.